Welcome to One Move at a Time, the U.S. chess podcast that explores people and organizations who are advancing our educational mission to empower people, enrich lives, and enhance communities through chess. Our goal is to give you ideas and methods you can use in your own community to help you build chess in your area, one move at a time. Make sure to listen to our family of U.S. chess podcasts, which include cover stories with Chess Life on the first Tuesday of each month, in which I go more in-depth with each month's cover story, Ladies' Night, which drops on the third Tuesday of each month, and that is hosted by our Women's Program Director, Jennifer Shahadi, and on the fourth Tuesday of each month, Chess Underground, hosted by our Assistant Director of National Events, Pete Karyanis, in which he examines the game's eccentricities, peculiarities, and theoretical novelties. All can be found at the podcast link on Chess Life Online at uschess.org or by subscribing via iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Now, let's welcome our guest to this month's podcast. David Grimaud is our guest today on this September edition of One Move at a Time. Grimaud has been the president of the South Carolina Chess Association since 2006, the chair of the U.S. Chess Senior Committee, a member of the Scholastic Council, and a member of the States Committee. Along with his wife, Maureen, the couple was awarded the Koltanowski Silver Award this year for their support of senior and women's events. In his non-chess life, David is president of the automotive repair and maintenance company Precision Tunes, largest area developer, Grimaud Enterprises Incorporated, which oversees 93 stores in 11 states, from Utah to Texas to South Carolina. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you, Dan. Uh, it's a privilege to be here. I'm really interested in your variety of volunteer work that you do, especially since you have such a uh, active uh, business uh, life. You, you you first became a delegate to U.S. Chess in 2007, shortly after you took on the presidency of the South Carolina Association, uh, and then very quickly you ended up on a number of different committees. Uh, what is it that got you from delegate to committee member? Uh, well, initially, I guess we've been coming to about, I don't remember right offhand, 13, maybe 13 delegates meetings. Uh, and initially, when you come on board into an organization like this, you're you're the freshman, you're the new person, you don't know a lot of people. And uh, so initially, we didn't just jump on any committee. Um, uh, we were just kind of trying to find our place there and uh, to get to know the organization and figure out uh, what it was was we were supposed to do, but also uh, how we could help. Uh, I will say that um, the person that uh, uh, really prompted uh, me to be a delegate initially was was John McCrary, and John McCrary is from South Carolina. Uh, I had done a uh, uh, brought Danny Kopak down for assignment. I went to a Danny Kopak camp and uh, made friends with Danny. Uh, uh, may his soul rest in peace, and um, and brought him down to do a simul uh, down at the University of South Carolina Chess Club with a person I knew over there, a young man who was a um, a graduate student over there, but an avid chess player. And in the process of doing that, Danny came down, and we uh, were over in the engineering building in in the comp- big conference room there. And people were coming in, uh, local chess players coming in to play in the simul. And I didn't know anybody there because I was uh, new to the chess community there. But this one guy walks up uh, in line and shakes hands with me. And if you know uh, uh, our brother, uh, John McCrary, uh, how understated he is, uh, he, he makes uh, shakes Danny's hand and he says, he mumbles something and uh, 
I overhear it and he leaves and I, I asked Danny, Danny, did he just say he used to be president of the United States Chess Federation? And he said, yeah, that's what he said. And I said, oh, okay, that's interesting. Well, it turned out uh, that John McCrary was in, in our backyard. So uh, when John saw how active and enthusiastic uh, um, I was about chess back then, uh, he, uh, he approached me and said, I'd like to see you get more involved. I think you'd be good for local chess. And he was sort of my uh, supporter. And he's the one that uh, put my name up as a delegate to go um, you'd go up to first delegates meeting and he's the one who suggested then that we should, so to answer your question and you'll find I'm very long winded and go on tangents, but to answer your question, how I got started getting involved in scholastic committees, he was the one that told me I should search for a committee, uh, that I thought I could make a contribution in. And so I think the very first committee that I got involved in was this scholastic committee. And, uh, I felt like I could make a contribution to that. And that's just been, you know, a great committee with a bunch of uh, great people on it. Was John also a former South Carolina State Association president? I'm sure he was. Uh, he's uh, still uh, attends all the annual meetings we have and uh, still plays a, a role. He's, uh, don't want to put words in John's mouth, but I mean, I'd say he's probably uh, sort of semi-retired from the role, but still in the background. He's kind of like uh, always looking out. Uh, to make sure that uh, chess in South Carolina is moving in the right direction. But if you know John, John's not a very uh, um, dominant kind of individual. At least he doesn't come across that way to me. And uh, just kind of been like the father of chess, if you will, in South Carolina. And he's also uh, currently the chair of our newly named Recognitions Committee, which used to be just the Awards Committee. Yes, that's correct. So let, let's go a little bit further back. Uh, you know, at one point you were a player, and then you became a state volunteer for South Carolina. Uh, what what led to that little change in approach in your chess life? I'll answer that first by saying I have a personal mission statement, and my personal mission statement is to make a positive impact on any relationship or within any organization that I'm involved in. A few years ago, um, I don't know if I had a midlife crisis or whatever you might call it around 2000, that year 2000. Um, I hadn't achieved uh, my own personal goals and my business and everything. And I had a little bit of a downer as far as uh, concerned about what my purpose was. I hadn't achieved uh, these really ambitious goals I had in my business and everything. And I had to sort of, I got a little depressed. My wife, Maureen, was, is great. She helped me work through that period. But in the process of going through that, I began to search uh, uh, for what the meaning was for my life. And I realized that uh, the meaning in my life is to make a positive impact uh, or, or be a positive influence on anything or with anyone or any organization I'm involved with, so much so uh, that if, uh, especially with an organization, if I don't feel like I make a positive influence or be a positive impact, then I don't belong there. And then a couple of times I've actually made a decision uh, to pull out of, uh, out of some organization because that, not, not in a, uh, I'm not talking about just abandoning the organization, but I'm just talking about in a leadership role. So if I don't feel like I can make a, a positive impact as a leader, then um, I'm not going to be involved as a leader. All right, having said that, let's go back to the, the chess background. So I was an avid chess player, um, 
you know, my dad taught me how to play chess when I was nine years old. Me and my brother, Greg, had to play chess when we were very young. He was in the Air Force. He was a fighter pilot. And we were always moving around. And every time you move around, uh, moved like uh, we moved to Germany in 1969. And our luggage, it took like two or three weeks for, uh, not our luggage, but for all of our possessions to get over there because we're going to be there on a four-year assignment. And so all we had was like a deck of cards. And dad had also had this little peg chess set travel chess set but it was the 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 little one that you opened up and the pieces were inside of it and, and the pieces uh would plug into these little holes in the board you know and so he decided to teach us how to ch- play chess to pass the time and i think he thought it was a better obviously a better intellectual activity than just playing uh, um you know war or something like that with a deck of cards so we started playing chess and um, anyway, that was the, the beginning of my chess roots. Later on, uh, um, my brother, Greg, who's two years younger than me, uh, he always took to games very quickly, and he started beating me regularly. And by the time I was in junior high school, I just could not – he would taunt me after he beat me. And I was supposed to be the smarter one of the two, and Greg was the one with the personality. Uh, and uh, – but. But Greg is very smart. I don't want to uh, understate that. So anyway, Greg started beating me regularly, but then Greg would taunt me about it, and I couldn't stand that. So I went to a bookstore and got uh, got a book, Walden Books, and it was uh, Fred Reinfeld's How to Play Chess Like a Champion. And I started studying that and developing your pieces and played to the center. And then I started beating Greg pretty regularly, and he stopped playing me. Uh, and then I got involved in, uh, fortunately, there at, at the local church there, um, there was an older gentleman, a few years older than my dad, that was a USCF member and rated chess player. He was about 12, rated 1,200, I think. But uh, locally, not a bad player, you know, and a pretty good player there in the local club. It was a small club. And uh, so he took me under his wing and took me down to the chess club. And he was much better than I was, even though I was beating everybody in the house. And uh, I played in my first tournament there and got my first rating and started playing and uh, played through high school and uh, organized and was president of the, the chess club there. But when I graduated from high school, and I think this happens to a lot of uh, adults or did back in the, that was back in the Fisher boom, so we're talking about in the 70s. I graduated from high school and then went to college at LSU. And LSU didn't have an organized chess club, so I fell away from chess. And I went 25 years without playing organized chess, an occasional game but not really involved. And I, as far as I was concerned, I'd put it behind me. Didn't think I'd necessarily ever get involved in tournament chess again. All right, in 2003, my son, who's about 12 years old, finds my chess set and my old clock, analog uh, clock, chess clock, in a file cabinet and brings it out and says, what are these things? And I light up and say, oh, would you like to play chess? It's always looking for something to do to bond with your son. And so I uh, said, so why, hey, why don't we go down together and looked online and, and play at this chess tournament in Tampa, Florida. And so we, off we headed uh, to Tampa, Florida. We had another trip down there to meet some friends. So we, we took a little side trip. Maureen was with us. Maureen wasn't nearly as uh, interested in chess. She just went along to support us. And, uh, and we played in the tournament there. And that's how I got back uh, involved in chess. Okay, so I'm, I'm giving you another long answer to your question here about 
how I got involved in or, uh, in volunteer chess because initially I got back involved in playing in tournaments. And by the way, uh, I was rated about fourteen twenty or something like that. Fourteen twenty six, I think, had been my last uh, rating when I was eighteen or nineteen. And I went to the tournament, won two games out of five, and my rating went up five points. So I guess you might say that playing chess for me was a little bit like riding a bike. <laughs> um, one of the guys, by the way, I lost to in that tournament, and this is another story, was Ray Robson, who just uh, took took me to the to the bank there. And uh, and I had a photo taken with him because I knew one day he'd probably be a grandmaster, and lo and behold, he is. But anyway, after that, uh, then went to this uh, chess camp with Danny Kopak. And, uh, by the time we had come back to South Carolina and done that simul, uh, I alluded to a few minutes ago, uh, I, I saw that I had a role, uh, that I could play coming back with my mission statement and making an impact, positive impact in chess in South Carolina. And then, uh, I love chess. Uh, I've got my rating up a few, few more points. I'm now a class B player. Uh, you know, so I'm not a great player, but I'm better than I was. Uh, and, uh, but really, uh, I'm never going to be a grandmaster. I would be lucky. I have a dream one day of maybe making 2000, but even to make 2000, I'm going to have to put a lot of work into it. And I just realized that what I have to offer to chess is not playing chess, but helping other people play chess. So literally this is what I love to do and enjoy doing. And that's why I got involved in uh, volunteer chess. Yeah, it's it's a very common story. Is you know people that love chess but realize that playing isn't necessarily where their talent is, but they can use their other talents to make the chess landscape so much better for everybody. Yeah, exactly. So, and I've seen that. Uh, you know, they always show the membership uh, results, and there's that <clears throat> that chart. You know where the membership spikes, you know, at the age of, uh, uh, what, 10 years old or when they're kids, and then people drift away from it. And then years later, they come back to it. That's a, I think I'm a pretty typical example, actually. Right. Yeah. And, and I, I fit that profile as well. Mm -hmm. In South Carolina, you, you've, uh, done some innovative things. Like I'm thinking specifically of the, the border battle. Why, Why don't you talk about that? And maybe we can talk about some other uh, innovative things that I may not know about. All right. Well, thank you, uh, Dan, for even mentioning that. So I don't know for about 10 years or so, I, I round off at this age, round off everything to uh, 5, 10, or uh, 20 years. So about 10 years ago, um, there was uh, a young man who was a, uh, a national master, uh, uh, may have even been a FIDE master named Timur Aliyev, and uh, actually, he's from Azerbaijan, a very good chess player. And he was, I think, uh, working on his Ph.D. or graduate degree in chemical engineering, I believe, at the University of South Carolina. I may have these facts wrong. But uh, he showed up on the chess scene and uh, he and I uh, became friends and bonded. And I even we even started studying chess together. He became a chess mentor for me. Uh, but uh, he was very active and uh, very had a very uh, um, a big vision of what chess should be in South Carolina, bigger than what I had uh, for it. And uh, he felt like we should have uh, stronger events in South Carolina. And, you know, and I agreed with him. I would love to have done that. Um, there was also another uh, young man named Chris Mabe uh, that he was buddies with who was in North Carolina. 
and he was all, they were about the same rating and, uh, somewhere around 2,300. Um, anyway, uh, the two of them, uh, proposed to me, uh, that one year, uh, Chris was uh, chess champion of, uh, North Carolina and, uh, Timur was our South Carolina chess champion. The two of them came to me and proposed that we have a battle for the Carolina champion. And I thought, it, of course, it was a great idea. And we managed between uh, North Carolina and South Carolina to get together with the officials up there and raise $500 that we would contribute to this battle uh, between them. And, and we called it, the first year, we called it the uh, Border Battle of Carolina Champions. And they played a some very uh, long time controls uh, over about, uh, two weekends, played four games, and the winner of that would uh, become the uh, the champion. Uh, I do think, as I recall, that two more uh, may have won that, but uh, to be fair to Chris, I'd have to go back and look at the, the records to tell. But anyway, that was the beginning of it. So the first year, it was not actually a, a team event. It was actually just between the two. Uh, a year or two later, Gary Newsom who happened to be the president at the time of the North Carolina Chess Association, uh, came to me and um, said, hey, uh, I'd like to add a team event to that and just on the side. So we added this team event and decided to do it uh, by class so that we had uh, expert class A, B, C, D, and E players, and, and we would bring two, and they would bring two, and then we would play. And so for bragging rights, we had this team event. That is essentially involved mostly into a team event today, and uh, bragging, it's just a bragging rights thing goes to the state that wins it. So I'm happy to say that, uh, um, that South Carolina did win it this last year, and we're very happy about that because uh, North Carolina is actually a larger state population-wise than South Carolina is by about three times, and they have much more chess activity. And uh, while we're on that subject, I'd like to give a, a big shout-out to uh, my friend uh, uh, Peter Janatis for hosting that for the last several years up at the uh, Charlotte Chess Center. Have you guys considered maybe taking this online, or is it being in-person, face-to-face uh, a key element? Uh, I don't uh, wouldn't object to taking it online, but uh, I think doing face to face generates a, a lot of camaraderie, uh, and uh, you know uh, I like that social aspect about it. And are you aware of any other states that are doing this type of tournament? Um, I've heard of from time to time that states do have these border clashes, if you want to uh, call them that. I think Georgia has had one, um, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, in the past, but I'd have to defer, you know, to them for that. Mm -hmm. um, and I, because one of the thing purposes of this podcast is to give people ideas to that they can implement in their own communities and areas. Is is there anything that you know now that you wish you had known when you were starting this event? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm not sure. Um, Dan, I'm basically an introvert, so when you ask me a question, I have to think on it for about thirty minutes. <laughs> And I'm sure you, I'm sure you, you, yeah, I'm sure you uh, understand that, you know, what I'm talking about, right? Well, that's I okay because you've been, a fellow yeah, you've been giving very good answers. <laughs> exactly. 
Yeah, and, and there's there's nothing better for a podcast host than to be an introvert, right? <laughs> You're very active in in your business, um, I, I, and I say that because I follow you on Facebook and I see you're constantly traveling. We, we mentioned how many states you're in and how many stores you have. Uh, by the way, is that 93 stores still a current number? Actually, it's, uh, it, it's, it's a, a moving target a little bit, but it's a, uh, we're now uh, roughly at 100. And I say that because uh, due to attrition, every now and then you lose some stores and, uh, right, and then you're adding right. stores as well. So that's about 100. So what I'm curious about is, does being a chess player or being a chess volunteer does that inform your business life in any way? And is it and does it go in the opposite direction as well? How how does your business life inform what you do as a volunteer and a chess player? I'm not sure when you say inform. Uh, clarify that for me. Does it uh... does does it change how you do things? Does it change how you think about uh, what you're doing in business? Um, or in in chess volunteering, do you say, oh, you know what, we we were successful in in at Precision Tune doing this, I can translate this to what we're doing on the senior committee. Well, I, you know, not, uh, it's not a deliberate thing. Uh, I think one, you know, they kind of go hand in hand and one helps the other. So obviously, uh, you know, um, you learn, uh, you learn through your career what works and what doesn't work. Um, the social aspects I've found in working with the chess committees and uh, the people in chess and everything are very similar, actually, maybe more similar because it's a volunteer organization to my church activities, uh, which I'll, I'll get to that in a second. As far as my business is concerned, because uh, I'm at the top of my food chain, one of the reasons I, I joined, by the way, my dad started the business on so the second generation and uh, all I did was step into something he started and, and help grow it. Um, but when you're at the top of the food chain, then you can call the shots, right? So if you have a run-in with somebody, uh, even though I tried to be uh, to listen and try to be accommodating, in the end, I'm going to make the final decision on that, right? So, uh, and I always car- carried the the power and the knowledge that I have that power. In a volunteer organization, you know, it was actually quite difficult for me uh, because I think I know what I'm doing, you know, and. Uh, uh, by the way, I don't always know what I'm doing, but I think I know what I'm doing. And so when I'm over in a chess organization and I'm trying to work with somebody, I think he doesn't know what he's doing. It's a volunteer organization. And if I get too pushy, like here in South Carolina, you know, somebody's uh, running a tournament once a year and I have a disagreement with him, he may quit and not run the tournament. And then where am I? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be running a tournament that I'm not qualified to run. So uh, what I would say probably something that was better for me in working with the chess stuff was actually my church activity. So Maureen and I uh, both uh, grew up um, in in church, in a Protestant church. Uh, I grew up in the Church of the Nazarene, and she came from the Methodist Church out of Minnesota. We actually met at a Church of the Nazarene in Dallas, Texas. And so we've been very involved in uh, church activities. And... Uh, uh, eventually, uh, I was, I, uh, my, in fact, uh, now that you mentioned this, Dan, I hadn't really thought about it, but the first committee I was involved on in church was uh, right after Maureen and I had gotten married and had our first, uh, uh, had our daughter, uh, and I'm not, not even 30, maybe I'm about 30, uh, I got elected to be the youth president at, at our local church. And so then I had to start working with volunteers and working with people in the church and working with kids. And all that, and that probably was the best uh, experience I could have gotten in working uh, with uh, the chess organization because people in churches are also can also be very entrenched in their different 
departments and everything. Not you know, so you, you'll have people like in uh, church that are have been teaching Sunday school for twenty years, right? And uh, new pastors come and go, and they'll have ideas, but they're not just going to come into to a church like that and just you know tell people what to do. Uh, they may become unpopular really quick and get kicked out. So there's a lot of uh, politics and things that go on in church, at least in our church. And I think, uh, you know, I hadn't really thought about this before, but just you're asking the question is probably what helped prepare Maureen and me for what we're doing, you know, right now in the chess organization. I found that people uh, and the relationships and committees and the people that are involved are no different, actually, than they are in my own local church. So that's another long-winded answer, uh, Daniel, for your your quick question. Well, we we love long-winded answers as long as they're interesting. Because and which your answers have been. What 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 we always hate is when we ask a long-winded question on our end and get the yes or no answer. <laughs> right. So so this is good. But one of the, one thing that jumped out at me is you had said earlier that the first uh, committee you had been involved in at U.S. Chess is Scholastic, and your first. Um, uh, church volunteer activity was on a youth committee or council. So you you, you definitely seem to be showing a, a very specific interest there. Let's talk about in South Carolina. You know, obviously we're in a scholastic chess boom time. Uh, is I imagine it's the same story in South Carolina? It is. And uh, since you brought that up, I really have to go out of the way right now to uh, pat Sam and Miller Copeland on the back. Uh, they're very involved. Uh, there's plenty of people involved. There's other people that have been involved, E.C. Setzer and uh, uh, Gene Nix. And uh, I, now that I've started mentioning names, of course, I'm going to uh, uh, remember a lot of names when we get off these podcasts that really deserve the credit. But we've got uh, had people come in during the same period of time that were just interested in kids, uh, working with kids that have really had a lot to do that. But particularly Sam and Miller Copeland, uh, Daniel Smith, uh, have come in and been involved uh, with kids and have grown the chess community. And all I've had to do is just watch and support them. So um, big shout out to those people here in South Carolina. We've mentioned your your wife, Maureen, a few times already. Uh, people who are interested in hearing more about the work Maureen has done uh, can listen to the August edition of Jennifer Shahadi's podcast, Ladies' Night, uh, which, by the way, won Best Podcast of the Year this year from the Chess Journalists of America. Uh, Maureen was just the guest in, in August. Now, she's been the Women's Committee Chair for a number of years before she was term limited this year. I'm curious if there's been any kind of friendly, my committee is is better than your committee type of competition between the two of you no not at all uh so uh i'm grinning you know uh, right now and i uh, as you talk about marine i am just so excited for marine having found her niche uh in the chess community i couldn't be more proud of her uh she is uh she, a lot of people don't even know uh, she plays chess she actually uh how she got back involved in chess was um she played chess, uh, you know, uh, casually and actually always enjoyed playing chess. Of course, uh, you know, I was a lot better than her, uh, you know, when we would play. And so it just wasn't an interesting game necessarily between the two of us. Um, but anyway, uh, she started, uh, because I was going around to chess tournaments, Jeff and I were going around to chess, chess tournaments. She started actually entering and playing and actually got a rating and started playing chess. And then also, 
she would travel with me to the delegates meetings and Maureen, as you know, is very social. And so she was able to uh, actually find her own niche in the women's committee. Uh, I've got to say that the uh, Wayne Barber was huge in encouraging her uh, to do that and uh, was kind of the champion of her. And, you know, then she, once she got legs, she took off on her own. So we're just uh, uh, really very proud of her and what she has done. Uh, you asked the question, though, about, you know, is there any my committee is better than you committee? No, absolutely not. Marine um, is, uh, um, you know, uh, there's, there's just not that kind of competition between us. It's actually been good in a sense that it's allowed Marine to find her own niche uh, in chess and allow me to find my own niche. And so uh, Marine and I are both uh, headstrong personalities. And, you know, if I was on her committee or she was on mine, there might be a bit of a clash. I'm trying to be nice. <laughs> be careful what you post here, Dan. You might get me in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> And I'd like to add, too, that, uh, you know, programmatic initiatives are very important to us at U.S. Chess now as in our 501c3 mission. And so if people are interested in in donating and supporting a very specific program that's near and dear to their heart, you can click on the donate link at on the homepage at uschess.org, and you can select a uh, that your donation go to a specific program, such as women's chess or seniors chess or education. So I uh, just want to make sure people are aware of that. Now, I, I want to come to uh, one of the main reasons I wanted you to be on the show this month is because our, our cover story in the um, September edition of Chess Life was written by Grandmaster Joel Benjamin on the National Senior Tournament of Champions, won by uh, Alexander Shabalov this year. Uh, he also wrote about, wrote about the uh, Senior World Team Championship. Uh, and people, you, you, you can listen on our companion podcast, Cover Stories with Chess Life, to my interview with Joel Benjamin about all this. So let's talk about the National Senior Tournament of Champions, which is only two years old at this point. Uh, let, let's start with the genesis. How did it come about? Well, uh, it was a no-brainer for me. So, so first of all, uh, you know, uh, the, the senior committee, let's talk about that and how I got on the senior committee. So uh, once again, going back to my mission statement, looking for something that I could do to make, be a positive influence as quickly as possible. And frankly, I like I, I enjoy being... Uh, being at the front of something. The Scholastic Committee has been a great committee, but it has so, so much good leadership over there that I found out that my role over there was in very small ways, and uh, and I'm supportive and still involved on the committee over there, but I didn't really see a way for me to be involved in, uh, in any leadership per se over there. So the Senior Committee, however, uh, um, I, I started to get interested in the Senior Committee when I became a senior, so I'm 59 years old now. And, uh, you know, uh, being a senior, the definition of a senior is really funny because, uh, you know, uh, when you're 59, uh, people that are in their 70s look at us and, and think that we're just kids. In fact, our, uh, our senior champion uh, was the oldest person to play in the National Senior Tournament of Champions was Klaus Pohl, um, National Master Klaus Pohl. And he's 82, I believe, 81 or 82. And uh, he, uh, but a few years ago, maybe five years ago, when he was in his uh, late seventies, he shows up at our state championship, and we're giving away a prize to the oldest player over fifty. 
who is our senior. And so he's the oldest person there at the tournament. He's <coughs> in between games or he has a bye or something. But anyway, he's walking around and he and I are just kind of walking around the tournament hall. He walks up and he looks at that sheet that says senior prize for over 50. And he looks at it and he looks at me and he says, 50. These are young men, you know, <laughs> and, uh, Klaus Paul, by the way, is a, is a survivor of uh, Dresden and a, and a hero in his own right. He uh, escaped, uh, so managed to survive World War II and the fire, fire bombings. And then when it became a communist country, he emigrated somehow secretly uh, out of East Germany, uh, made his way to Switzerland where he got his uh, education and got married and then managed to find his way to Canada and then the United States. And he's been in South Carolina now, probably, I don't know, for about 40 years or so. But having said all that, that's just another pat on the back to just a great guy, Klaus. Um, when, when we're talking about seniors, it's uh, a little ironic that uh, to be a senior, you know, all you have to be is 50 years old, right? Because the true seniors are not me. It's always some someone older than me, correct? Oh, absolutely. So, but, uh, you know, uh, when people ask, well, how old do you have to be a senior? I say, well, we use, we go off the Denny's menu. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, like, uh, five years ago, I was down in Houston, Texas with my dad and we were working on some business. My dad's uh, retired now, but we were working on some business, uh, together and we went into a Denny's and for the first time, Daniel, I had the privilege of eating off the senior menu with my father okay <laughs> i was about 50 53 or so so being a senior then and you were talking about so being a senior and realizing you know what i'm i'm a senior and i actually love seniors i love klaus i love working with older people they're, they're the uh to some degree and i mean this uh, in a loving way they're the new children in my life so I've, i was involved in youth and working with children i love working with younger people it's a joy of my always been a joy of mine, but also now working with uh, people my age, but even older to me is a joy as well, because they're, they've entered into uh, a second childhood in a way through retirement and, you know, they've got more discretionary time and they're doing, hopefully doing what they want to do. And me helping work with them has just been a joy. So finding my way onto the senior committee was just a natural for me. Now, my philosophy when I get involved in anything is not to change a lot of things. It's to take one thing and improve it and make it better and just add on to that. So when we came to the senior committee, uh, what was the one thing that we could do that was the low-hanging fruit? You've heard that, the low-hanging fruit off the tree that we could just pluck. And it was a no-brainer for me. Um, uh, Dwayne Barber, again, the second time I've mentioned him, I believe, in this podcast, uh, he and the U.S. Chess Federation had put together these series of tournaments uh, with the uh, and Marine too, by the way, with uh, with these tournaments that were already out there. Was the uh, the Dinker and then the Barber was added. Uh, then the uh, National uh, uh, Girls Tournament of Champions that Marine was involved in, and, and it just seemed like, well, you know what? They've already got the space there. Being a businessman, it, it was a no brainer. They have had additional seats there. Why not add a uh, a slate of senior tournament of champions and uh, Dwayne and Marine, of course, that was an excellent idea. And with their support, John Haskell and that whole group, Mike Neiman, that whole group, I'm leaving out names again, was so supportive of that, uh, that it was just a no brainer. So putting it in there and, and it took off and you know what, Dan, working with the, uh, with this group of seniors is even better than working with the scholastics. You know why? Why? 
because I don't have to deal with their parents. <laughs> that I'm saying that, you know, humorously, of course, I love working with, uh, with parents that are supportive of their kids, but with the seniors, I found that the seniors are just so, uh, so happy to be there representing their state and they've been playing chess for years. They're all good players. You know, they're, uh, most of them are very, very good players. A lot of national man masters that adding the senior tournament was just to me a no brainer. And I'm just, uh, uh, very lucky and very happy that it's taken off like it has. And the groundwork that you and your committee has done uh, has made it a very rapidly a successful event. And again, I mentioned it is only just had its second iteration of the event. But I, I know that when the Denker Tournament of High School Champions started, it was many years before they were able to get into the 40s in terms of number of states represented. But you're already in the high 40s, are you not? Yeah, we. Uh, I think we did four, had 44 this year and 42 last year. Uh, Michael Mulford would. Uh, uh, he's uh, our administrator for it or going forward, and he would probably correct me on that. But uh, yeah, so. Uh, but again, Dan, uh, you know, I can't really. Uh, we can't. Uh, I, I'm not trying to be modest. It's just the truth. Uh, the, the ground had already been plowed. So all you have to do, uh, we had all, John Haskell had all the contacts out there on who to contact. And remember, I'm a state officer. So uh, if I get an email or a letter and says, and, and, you know, I want to promote chess in my state, and I get an email that says, hey, send a senior champion. Uh, and, and if I'm a good officer, then by golly, I'm going to get a champion up there to that event to represent my state. So it was really all the groundwork had been plowed here for it. And I, and I think, by the way, that uh, now adding the, um, uh, the new tournament uh, that um, uh, John, uh, John D. Rockefeller is adding, uh, you know, to the tournament is just going to be the same way. It's just going to take off. And so it's in a good spot right now, but what is your hope for the future for this event? Uh, so my hope for the future would eventually to get uh, all 52 affiliates. Uh, I believe there's 52 affiliates there. That would be, you know, like a goal. But just uh, in the meantime, just to keep improving it to that. Uh, by the way, I will, uh, a little jab at the other tournaments. We actually had a player come in from Alaska. So to get, you know, that's, that's a pretty remarkable event because that's a long way to travel to Florida. And when you say 52 affiliate, that, that number may surprise some people. What are 51 and 52? Well, I know California is split and, uh, oh, then the other one is Washington DC. So that makes up 52. So you have North and South, uh, California. So this has been a great wide ranging discussion, but before I let you go, uh, there's one question that I've been asking all my guests this year, as this is our 80th anniversary year. It's rapidly, uh, the, the actual birthday in December is rapidly approaching for us chess. My question is what has us chess meant to you? Well, uh, you know, I can't say enough about uh, having an organization where you can go play a game and, you know, uh, where a game is promoted the way it's been. I just can't say enough about just having an organization to go to for that. I don't think people give that enough credit. You know, if it wasn't for the U, uh, what we called the old uh, USCF, right, and the fact that it has a stable rating um <clears throat> way where you can get a rating and get a ranking and if it wasn't for a fact that you know they were that they police all this you know uh we wouldn't have real organized chess you know it'd be chaotic and chaos and you wouldn't know uh 
you know, who is the best in chess or where your own personal rating is in chess. You know, it's just a real, I, I don't know what the word is looking for. Maybe it's, uh, uh, you know, I, so coming from getting back to church, you know, and uh, why it's so important in religion to have organized uh, church groups uh, for the same reason, to have the doctrine of the church. There's a very similar parallel, honestly, to the Church of Chess. So from my point of view, that's what the USCF has done for chess. You know, it's the it's my church for chess, if you will, where I know what it is uh, uh, that our mission is, what it is that a rating means, uh, you know, who the good players are, who the organizers are and all that, having a home for everybody. I just can't say enough about that. I know the USCF takes a lot of uh, shots. The leadership, the USCF takes a lot of shots. You know, it's like sometimes, you know, they, they probably feel like they can't do anything right. You know, they can't please everybody, but they do such a great job. And the leadership has done such a great job. The organization itself has been through so many uh, ups and downs and still managed to survive because there is good leadership uh, in the middle of it. And people always rise to the occasion. I'm not sure I answered your question directly, but I'm, you know, a little emotional about, about USCF. Well, no, that's good, and 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 most most people I've asked this question to have felt emotional about it. So, yeah. Um, By the way, uh, I'm not going to finish this podcast without uh, patting uh, Carol Meyer uh, on the back. I think she's doing a good job, a great job for chess. And uh, Carol and I uh, have already talked about some things that we want to do next with the senior committee, uh, maybe from her point of view, I'm not moving fast enough because <laughs> she's got a lot of good ideas. And, uh, so we're already, uh, uh, working on some things, uh, from the senior chess, uh, and starting to get more organized. So essentially when I got involved, it felt like a one man committee. Uh, but now people are stepping up and, uh, we're starting to assign tasks and add other things. So, uh, even though I think right now we've gotten the, uh, national senior tournament of champions up and moving, uh, other people are starting to get involved and behind that. And I, I'd like to focus my attention now on some other things. Fun Fong and I are working on, on uh, working with Carol on, uh, on perhaps looking at uh, uh, working with uh, chess with uh, VA or, uh, or other clubs that we can put together. And we haven't quite uh, fleshed that out yet, but uh, Carol is leading us in that direction. And we're happy to help support her. Well, thanks for including that. It's, it's never a bad thing to, to give a positive shout out to my boss, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, I guess uh, to some degree, my boss as well. So right. keep up the good work, Carol. So David, again, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for all that you've done as a U.S. chess volunteer and continued good success with all you're doing. Thanks so much, Dan, for having me. And, uh, and also, I'm sure Maureen feels the same way. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to One Move at a Time. Our theme music was composed by Alex King, a national master who lives in Memphis, Tennessee. U.S. Chess is a 501c3 nonprofit with an educational mission. You can find more information about us at uschess.org, where you can become a member by clicking on the join button, and you can donate to our cause by clicking on the donate button. I hope that you have learned something new about how to build chess within your community. Join us next month for another Chess World personality and more good ideas.